Welcome to the new media show, where each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, UTC plus 4, Todd Cochran and Rob Greenlee take their over 30 combined years of leadership in the podcasting space to discuss, dissect, and deconstruct the current podcasting news, forecasts, trends, and predictions. Now here are your hosts, Academy of Podcasting Hall of Famers, Todd Cochran and Rob Greenlee. Rob, it's been two weeks and we probably owe the audience an explanation of where we have been. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, I think uh, you were on the road prior to that, but yeah. for me it was, I had I had kidney surgery and I had a couple of kidney stones pulled out of my my right kidney. Yeah. So, I was kind of that kind of knocked me out for a week, week and a half here. I was sitting here a week ago Wednesday, and I'm like, had everything fired up and was <laughs> waiting for you, and you never showed up. And I'm like, where's Rob? I texted you like, oh, dude, I I'm in Phoenix. Sorry. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. I was in Phoenix too. Right. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, for those of you watching, you see we have a guest. For those of you listening, you don't even know yet, so that's okay. I'll let. Rob well, introduced- I did put it out a little bit on 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 Twitter the other day. So, oh, yeah. okay. Well, <laughs> some people probably know. Rob, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest yeah. today? Well, I want to uh, welcome Ashley Carmen to to the New Media Show. Thank you so much, Jack and Ashley, for joining us. Uh, she's a senior reporter for The Verge, and she's been covering audio and podcasting for a few years now over there. And she recently was uh, selected to replace Nick Kwa as the editor of the Hot Pod newsletter, which Todd and I have talked about many times. And I've <laughs> I've talked to uh, Nick quite a few times on trips to New York and things like that. So we've had an interest in what the Hot Pod thing is all about. And so this change, um, adding Ashley to the editor role of Hot Pod is something that caught my attention and I thought it would be very interesting to have her on the show to share kind of that, that process and kind of her experience about, uh, you know, the podcasting space and covering it, um, and breaking some interesting and fascinating stories over the last few months. <laughs> so <laughs> it's been a Ashley, busy summer, <laughs> right? Ashley, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for having me. I'm excited. Well, Ashley, yep. I will say this. You would come on the show, but Nick would never come on the show. <laughs> right. So yeah. this is a step right. one. This is a positive change. So I mean, right. maybe I walked into something I'm not aware of, or I'm just a ham for the camera. Who can say? No, I, I think what it was, was Nick never talked about us indies, you know? And, uh, so I guess yeah. that was, that was part of it. So, um, well, and he made that fairly clear that, um, <laughs> oh the indie community wasn't something that he was focusing on with the newsletter. So I talked to him about it a couple of times and, and, and that's okay. I mean, he has every right to do that. Um, so, and I, I'm just curious what your positioning is. Cause I, I know the, the articles that you've written prior for the verge, um, were kind of looking at the medium from a much broader perspective. And, and I think that's very important these days because podcasting has become a very, diverse medium, uh, with a lot of tentacles going in a lot of different directions and all sorts of media companies and brands and things like that. So I think a, a, a viewpoint that's, uh, beyond just the New York kind of public radio market, um, is probably needed with hot pot. So I'm just curious what your philosophy is as you go into the newsletter, right? Yeah. I mean, so as far as like goals for coverage, um, 
I kind of made it. So my first edition came out last Tuesday. So or a little mm-hmm. bit like mid September times. Um, mm-hmm. And I kind of wanted to make a point to say that although the newsletter is called hot pod and I love the podcasting industry and that's what got me into this, I am excited to sort of broaden the scope, which Nico was already doing a bit, but to audio and sort of audio creators in general. So for example, that includes like clubhouse or social audio right. that includes maybe like some smart speaker type coverage and how people consume audio there. And like YouTube, which has the vodcasting, but isn't traditional podcasting as you know. So that's a key thing for me is focusing on these creators who are using these platforms. And I think you'll see in a lot of my reporting, that's often where I get a lot of my stories is by talking Mm -hmm. to folks who are on the ground and living the life of a audio creator. And so that's, that's a big interest. And then also just how big tech is coming into the space. That's a huge storyline for me that I'm following. And we, and we shouldn't, and we should mention Ashley warned us she's in the middle of a construction zone. So we will, (laughs) we will hear from occasion and we'll hear construction equipment. Don't worry, Ashley. It's okay. This is a podcast. So (laughs) what's the same with me. There's an occasional train that comes by with me too. So (laughs) it's not like we're all immune from this. Um, but yeah, Ashley, just to comment on what you just said about your, your, your focus I think what you're doing is is a reflection of what Todd and I have been seeing in the medium for a while now, and that's that's a broadening of the perception and the of the scope of podcasting and what a podcast is. And so you you know Apple making this change into subscriptions, more paid content, um, and and just audio just in general, you know, like you were mentioning Clubhouse and things like that. Those are being linked up with podcasting now too. Same thing with people creating content over on YouTube and then taking the audio out of YouTube and putting them out as a podcast. So there's this kind of um, mash of meshing that's happening around podcasting and the meaning of the word podcast um, is getting bigger. And I, th- I guess what you're doing is a reflection of that. Yeah. I mean, there are still folks who definitely, I think, get angry when you talk, use the word podcast for content that's not distributed over RSS. Over RSS, right. <laughs> Which can have that conversation. But um, I, for my, that's why I kind of go with audio is because I just think people listening to things, people talking into microphones, spoken word, mm-hmm. even music obviously is interesting to me as well, but in audiobooks, but this idea that people are listening more than ever um, is mm-hmm. kind of what I'm interested in. There was definitely some people upset that they weren't qualified for the podcast awards because they weren't a podcast anymore. They were a exclusive on Spotify. They were a show on Spotify. They weren't a technically a podcast. I'm one of those purists. I'm not a, I'm not a diehard purist, but you know, it's one of those things. If you can't subscribe to it with a podcast app, then are you really a podcast, you know, in the true definition of the word. Now you're an audio creator. Absolutely. But, You know, when you're on Clubhouse, you're not a podcaster unless you're recording and putting it out as a podcast. So you're a audio creator. Yeah, it gets the definitions get very messy sometimes. They do. They do because I know audiobooks. It's like okay, if you create a really long podcast, (laughs) is that like an audiobook in a way? Does an audiobook have to be a thing that's written from a text that you record? Like it just gets all messy. So yeah, I hear you. It's kind of fun. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah, I scanned through your your article about Clubhouse too, and and I think Todd Todd has a very definite opinion about Clubhouse, and I was definitely involved in it quite a bit early on, when, like way back in February of last year. But um, 
it seems to have faded. And I, and I think that there's um, some reasons for that. And I was just curious what your thoughts on it based on your, your, um, your reporting and your investigation into that. Yeah. So the story I most recently published was about Clubhouse's Creator First program, which is a creator accelerator Mm -hmm. where they essentially hand-selected creators to create shows for Clubhouse for three months, 12 episodes. They gave them a stipend. Each show received $15,000. And then the promise, yeah, keep in mind the $15,000 was per show for the three months. So if you had a co-host, you would have to split it. If you paid your guests to come on, presumably that came out of that pot. But regardless, it's great that they at least paid people to make content. We like to see that. So, um, but the goal of the program was stated to be turning these shows into profitable creative endeavors. And Mm -hmm. what my reporting found was that none of these shows, at least from the people I spoke with and seemingly from what I understand, none of these shows turned into that. And many of the creators are actually now saying that although they love Clubhouse and the community on there, they will not be able to continue to make these high quality content shows where they're you know, really producing it and scoring music and doing different things. So really mm-hmm. the crux of the piece was sort of about if Clubhouse has sort of a monetization issue. And, and it reminded me a lot, actually, which I tied to in the Hot Pod newsletter, is how early monetization worked for podcasting and how I think Clubhouse is kind of early days, like going way back in the podcast space of how it used to be here, too. Well, you know, being one of the first people that monetized in podcasting back in 2005, the model hasn't really changed. It's still still the same as it was in the beginning. So based on, there's flat rate deals, there's CPM deals, there's, you know, there's affiliate deals. Kind of sounds like radio a little bit. Um, Or TV or, you know, banner ads. But it really the model really hasn't changed that much through the years. And I think what raw, at least what my experience with clubhouse was, and of course I haven't been on there since supposedly they've got some moderation tools or in the, you can bring people up as you need and put them in a waiting room or I don't know. I haven't been on there in a while, but it just, you just never knew what you were going to get and the audio quality of the person that was going to be making a comment they might have been at you know kind of like walking down the street in uh in new york city and having 50 cabs blowing the horns that it could have you know it was in that way it was actually that way at at one point yeah it was definitely that way yes but i had some people that were like chopping onions while they were talking on clubhouse (laughs) you know and you could hear the chopping going on so yeah but but i think if you have a line guest and you have a pre-selected panel then that's a lot easier to control um, from that perspective and be able to produce something decent to make sure everyone mm-hmm. is up on audio quality. But uh, it just it ended up being kind of, at least for me, it's a great place to go and add commentary and you know step into a room and have a discussion. But uh, I, I applaud anyone that is successful in creating content over there. I think it's going to be very hard. Yeah, I think, and that's sort of what I heard in my reporting, was these folks were really spending the time to produce their shows, bring guests on they knew were going to be speak well and really knew what they mm-hmm. were getting so that they didn't leave it up to just fate. Um, sure. And what they were saying is like, yeah, that was awesome. We're happy to do it. But if we don't have sponsors, how are we going to justify spending this time to make this thing? And that was sort of the, yeah, the big question I had is like, these were the hand selected creators who were designed and chosen to make the best stuff. And if they couldn't get sponsorships, then who stands a chance? Right. Well, I think and they're it- like, Brad. And it does seem like more and more the audio landscape is all about making money too. Um, 
because I think people are more and more looking for side gigs, side hustles, things that they can bring in additional income to, um, to what they're doing. I also, you know, realized because I went through this myself and I know many people over on Clubhouse, they were spending hours and hours and hours over there a day, you know, and there's only so much, so long you can do that before it starts having an impact on your your income, right? Um, or your job or your whatever other things you have going on in your life. And back then at the heyday of it, it was pandemic. Everybody was locked in and at home and they had lots of extra time because they weren't commuting or they weren't doing a lot of other things. So I think that, that also has an impact. For sure. I think yeah. it's like anything else. It's going to find its place and people are going to figure out how to monetize. And it's probably through communities and events with extensions to that. It's not necessarily going to be tied around content, I don't think. But, it, you know, it could be content instruction. You know, yeah. you've got masterminds or whatever it may be. People are going to find ways to to make money. I actually could say mastermind now, Rob, without getting a bad taste in my mouth. I've, I've kind of grown over that a little bit. <laughs> Why is that, Todd? Yeah. I'm just curious. Because in the early days of masterminds, there was a lot of masterminds that were absolutely not masterminds. Kind of, kind of, <laughs> kind of me, huh? Right. Yeah. But I think that um, the medium of audio in its, in its essence is, you know, I think we've all found, even during the pandemic, that we have much more time to listen than we do to watch. And you know, and if I, I just wish I could invent a TikTok of podcasting because it's this, this thing that they've got over there is they've invented a time machine. You sit down and you start going on TikTok and three minutes later, it's actually three hours later and you wonder what happened. I'm just trying to figure out how we can make that engagement happen in the audio space where they go from one piece of content to the other. I don't know if it's, if it can be duplicated, but it would sure be fun to try. Yeah, I actually wrote a piece about the people who are trying to do that. There's quite a oh. few companies that are trying to do short form audio, specifically because short form audio in their minds could be something that's a lot more discoverable and easy to have the algorithm show to you and you digest very quickly. So Facebook is yeah. doing it. Um, there's a bunch of startups trying to do it. I wrote that piece a little bit ago and yeah. I mean, none have taken off yet. I don't think Facebook's product yeah. has launched yet, but they're going to try to do it. Um, maybe it'll work. I know that there's a lot of people hoping it will. Yeah. You know, we, we, there, go ahead, Rob. There isn't a long history, isn't a long history in, uh, in the success of short form audio. So that's, I think it's a, it's a little bit aspirational to think. I mean, if you look at the podcasting medium, um, the, the most successful shows are longer. Um, actually, um, but there are examples, um, but they're kind of rare, but it'll be interesting to see if the, if the consumption models, um, will adapt to that. Um, I don't know, Todd, what's your thought on that? Well, you know, it's, I use this analogy. I watched 30, 40, 30 minute, mm -hmm. I mean, 30 second clips on mm -hmm. TikTok and I enjoyed watching, was entertained and hearted a bunch of them because I thought they were cool. But can I recall what that now today? There's no, that's a short-term memory thing. It's instant gratification, pushes something with an endorphin, who knows. But yep. if I listen to a two and a half hour no agenda, I walk away with that with tangible, something tangible to think about that right. I can quote 
days later or tell people you need to go listen to this segment. It's just a whole different, it's just because you have their, your attention span is longer and it gets drilled in just like reading a book. When you're reading a book, you're on 800 pages in on a book. You still are following the plot all the way through and have the premises of what happened. But TikTok is, I believe, just more of an instant gratification type thing and, uh, you know, something to do when you want to wait some time or travel <laughs> to another dimension, maybe. <laughs> I had to delete TikTok from my phone, so. Oh, you did? <laughs> For that reason. I'm like, please, no. It'll suck me in, and then I'm like, there goes my afternoon oh. or my evening, and I'm, I can't. I cannot yeah. Or this. it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and you're like, what? You know, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. I'm like, this is not this is not <laughs> what I need to be doing with my time. Yeah, and I think that's what happened with Clubhouse to some degree too. I think a lot of people got sucked in. We're spending um, hours and hours in rooms. Um, I know some rooms went like 24 hours straight. Um, there were other rooms that went like three or four hours, um, and people were in the room the whole time. So, yeah. And and Rob, you know, I live audio for right. at least 40 to 60 hours a week right now, and yeah. That's not including any time I'm listening to shows, I'm doing discovery work. It's, 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 so for me to be able to try to figure out where to squeeze in Clubhouse it, and it have a life, it just, there was no way to do it. So, right. you know, if I was paid to do it, man, I'd go hang out there for, you know, all, all, all types of time. But, you know, that wasn't, wasn't what I was planning, you know, just didn't work for me. Yeah. What I would say is like for me personally, I, I don't listen as much as you 40 to 60 hours a week, but I'm definitely trying to probably have about two to three hours of podcast time a day during my walks, my, my daily constitution. Um, so during that time though, I'm like, if I could be either listening to a podcast where I know the hosts are reliably good, it's been edited, presumably they're putting their best foot forward versus clubhouse where I'm like, rolling the dice and hoping right. what I'm going to hear is interesting to me. I'm always going to go with the podcast, at least right now, because I'm like, at least I know that this has been scrubbed <laughs> at the very least, if nothing else. Right. Well, do, don't get me wrong. I don't listen to 40, 60 hours worth oh, of okay. podcast a week. I work 40 to 60 hours worth a week okay. in the space. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's a combination of everything, but yeah. So I, yeah, you know, a couple hours of podcast a day is pretty typical for me. Um, on downtime, you know, I, I, when I'm at work, I can't concentrate on to listen to podcasts because I'm, I stop typing and I'm looking off in the distance while right. I'm listening to them. So, um, it's definitely during my short commute or, you know, cleaning the house or whatever it may be. So I think that's the beauty of podcasting is you can really listen to it when you have you time and, uh, it's not we time, it's you time. And I, I think it really works well. And I think that's why it's been so successful over the years. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> it's fun. It's, it, it relaxes me. Like I look forward to my walk because I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. this is my time, my me time. I get to listen to my shows, take a little walk, enjoy some sun for a little while longer before winter comes and then relax. Do you think then that from the content now, I know you're going to talk everything audio in the newsletter. So what kind of pushback did you get from the hot pod subscribers that basically said, why are you talking about clubhouse? Why aren't you talking about podcasting? Did you get any pushback? No, well, I mean, totally, good. honestly, I have not. Everyone has been extremely welcoming, which is awesome to anyone who's listening. That's in the community. Sure. Like I very much appreciate it. Everyone's been so welcoming and I think really excited. I think 
Ever since I began reporting in this space, I've been really pleasantly surprised at how welcoming everybody is in it and is just excited to have someone who is also passionate about the space, wanting to talk about it and wanting to cover it and wanting to find ways to tell stories that maybe hadn't been told before and now there's a way to do it. So yeah, like genuinely, I've been really happy to see how happy other people are about it. You know, I think if we look at the newsletters that's out there, you look at uh, Pod News comes out daily. They, it's a, you know, it's a regurgitation of news stories. It's not really he does an in depth one once in a while. He'll do some expose yeah. on something, but it's not a regular occurrence. And he covers a pretty wide breadth of the space. And then you've got Tom Webster who does his, you know, weekly or how often he comes out with his. He, you know, he has some some pontifications about yeah. the space or something. You know, it's not always podcast related, but I think that. What we really, and if you look at pod news, they're not pod news, uh, uh, podcast, you know, there's two or three newsletters. I'm going to get in trouble here with Ed and his group. Um, help me out, Rob, here. Your podcast Business Journal. Podcast and, Business Journal, yeah. And I, I think Podcast Insider. I think yeah. So or, or, the, or inside podcast. Yeah. So they all do again, do these rehashes of people's press releases or blog posts right. or whatever. But I think what the entire space in what, what we had hoped when Nick started writing hot pod was that he would expand and talk about the rest of the space, except for that mm-hmm. bubble of New York, Boston, NPR, that, and so for a lot of us that, you know, if you think about the podcasting space, 97, 98% of us are independent podcasters. The only 2% are really what you would consider professional, being hired by a company, being paid. So the, the 98% kind of felt with at least the feedback I would get and the circles that we kind of run around was is it was a newsletter. We just kind of deleted when it came in because they didn't speak to the entire space. So I hope, you know, I'm just, I'm not telling you what to do, obviously, but I'm hoping that you can understand that the community from the independent podcaster side largely discounted their newsletter before. And we're hoping you just, you know, you look at, I know that you're already expanding and that's great. So I hope that you'll keep that in mind as you're putting commentary together. And I'm not saying you have to focus on the independent space, but it'd be nice to pick up pieces once in a while when something happens or somebody does something that brings it to your awareness that you think you should report on instead just on that laser lock of yeah and what, it's and todd it's probably not entirely fair to, to it's not what nick was right doing it's true Ashley, it, but but it's but good it's, for her to understand yeah, right. the perspective of the right. newsletter in the past and i i don't know actually if you already knew that or not but it you know and just kind of giving you the history of where that how hot pod was per, uh, perceived often in some of the exterior pieces of the country. I guess that's a better way to say it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I was a reader of hot pod obviously before Vox media slash the verge acquired hot pod. So I always enjoyed reading hot pod, but I always of course also appreciate both when I'm writing it and then to hear from people like you, like I always appreciate to hear how people feel. <laughs> it right. doesn't, and it it's, doesn't, it's no reflection on you because you can't, Nick did what he did and he great built a great following and he covered what he wanted to cover. And that's, we, we all understood that. So, yeah. and, and I think that the, the newsletter has enough prominence. It's well known in the space, 
that the if you expand your topic genre, which you are, I think it's going to be well received and the readership will go up dramatically. Yeah, and I think your subscriber base, yeah, yeah will we'll, we'll definitely it, grow. We'll grow. Go up. Yeah, I want you to tell us about that. I mean, we we've been talking about Hot Pod a little bit on the on the periphery somewhat, and then what you're doing with it. But I'm I'm just curious. So, if somebody wanted to subscribe to Hot Pod, what is the what is the process and what is involved in 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 doing that? Yeah. So. We come out with one free newsletter a week, which is on mm-hmm. Tuesdays, and two paid, which is Thursday, Friday. It's the Insider Edition. Um, and to subscribe, you, we do have it on The Verge. Like So the free newsletter I publish every week on The Verge as well, or I'm starting to. So that will have like a little subscription box in there. Right. I promise you I tweet how to subscribe constantly. So if you follow me, you will easily be able to subscribe. But right. also there is hotpodnews.com which makes it also very easy to subscribe. And then, yeah, the insiders, I believe, are $70 for the year or $7 per month. And in there, we just go a little bit deeper, try to offer some exclusives, some scoops, something you, just to make it worth your while to subscribe. Um, I try to build a value for our readers. So So are you looking for members of the podcast community to input those things to you and provide them to you somehow? And is there some method for the the broader podcast community to input, you know, announcements or, you know, you know, announcements that are embargoed or, you know, opportunities like like that. Are you looking for that? Oh yeah, definitely. I am always interested to see what people are up to companies, people, everything. Um, my email is ashley.carmen at the verge.com. So if people do want to get in touch again, that's another one that is all over my Twitter, I promise you. So, right. yeah, I am not hard to find. Well, this is a positive change right. <laughs> because we knew it would happen if we emailed Nick. It would just get deleted. So you'll, you're going to get up on a bunch of, of people's mailing lists now because, you know, if, and, and, and you don't, you're not going to respond to everything. But I think that the, the perception, per se, was if you're not NPR and if you're not in New York, uh, you're not going to get talked about <laughs> unless you buy a, an ad in the, in the newsletter. That's kind of how it was before. Right. Yeah. Are you starting to think more on a, on a global scale too with podcasting or is it yeah, still was, relatively U S centric right now? No, I was going to say you actually led me right into that, which is I did? okay. Yeah. Where I was literally thinking like, well, you know, you're talking about New York specifically. So of course there's the broader U S overall, but then right. what we're really seeing in the space is how important global market is going to yeah. be just broadly. Yeah. And I'm super fascinated by like what's happening in China with podcasting. I wish I could speak Chinese in some form because I would love to be able to explore these apps and really understand it. Um, but like, I know they're very established over there with the audio market. So as them as an example, but then how other markets will also be growing. We've seen Spotify really try to make inroads in various countries through their creator programs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure, you know, ACAST just went public. They also, I guarantee, are very interested in the global market, as well as, you know, like iHeart, I think, has done like deals with various entities around the world to try to like turn their podcasts into French podcasts and things. So, yeah, global is a huge part of this conversation as well. Yeah, the probably the majority of the calls I've taken in the past month, believe it or not, Africa is kicking off now. Uh, mm-hmm. Nigeria specifically, there's a platform down there that's getting ready to 
heavily ad podcasting. So it's it's not it's it's growing everywhere. You know the you know the challenge it's in the Middle East, Middle East growing is, too, yep, and yep. in the huge country of India uh, yep. is becoming a huge player and. Brazil is just exploding the, as Todd has known for years. Yeah, I've known for years. Yeah, they got shows down there that make the biggest shows here in the United States. They would cry for their type of numbers. They do 9, 10, 12, 15 million downloads per episode. And the podcasts wow. are three and four hours long. And they come out yeah. daily. Yeah. Do they host through you? Mm -hmm. or do well, they have A variety of providers. We do have a number of customers that host through us that have content in Brazil. So it's, it's really, it runs the gambit. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, you would, you, you would never imagine it, but their target market for a lot of podcasts down there, there's a lot of factory workers. So it's for the people there on the factory floor where there's no internet, there's no cell phone signal. They can listen to podcasts with their mobile devices. So they're on their feet three, four hours a day. So they're listening to podcasts all day long in Portuguese. So it's, it's, it's a huge, yeah. huge, huge, small number of shows, huge audience. So yeah, it's uh, also going on in a big scale in Spain too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I um, might have to hit you up after the show to hear a little bit more about that. Cause and, now I'm really uh, curious about these factory workers. <laughs> well, you know, and the thing is I don't speak Portuguese and the only reason we right. kind of know about it is looking at stats and looking at, uh, you know, the shows and, you know, people coming in and asking tech support and I'm translating Portuguese to English and English to Portuguese and, that fun stuff that goes on with, you know, trying to do international tech support when someone doesn't speak English. So yeah, it's any, you know, and we don't have anybody on staff that speaks Portuguese. We have a few people that speak Spanish and French, but you know, that, that just covers a small, you know, right. small segment of the world. Yeah. yeah and a lot of those and, shows uh, like in Spain and like what Todd's talking about aren't um, generally, and Todd, correct me if what you've seen is wrong, are not always formatted as traditional podcasts either they're very much formatted as just long-form radio shows yeah some of them um are. right and that's what people are used to um in their lives and they if they can't get the signal in or they can't have a device that they can listen to the radio then that's their that's their radio so right that's an interesting point yeah yeah, and I mean, that also speaks to why when we were talking about people reaching out to me, I'm like, please, because I cannot parachute to the ground sure. of these places. Yeah. I don't necessarily speak the local language in some places. Like, I need to know what's happening. I want to know. So, yeah, that, that speaks to that for sure. And I think, too, is, you know, if you think about the, the Middle East and the conversation I've had with uh, a platform out there, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm like, what are you going to do about this type of content? And yeah. often the answers are maybe something you would be reportable because, you know, they're sensitive to certain types of topics and, uh, you know, just because or of, from certain other countries. Right. So there's, you know, there's that that's going on. And right. Um, right. so, you know, they're, are they content? Uh, what's the right word? Uh, they're being selective and the content that they want. I guess that's the polite way to say it. Um, so well, and that's, that's the case also in uh, places like Russia and China too. So, um, you know, we're facing kind of country conflict issues as well as cultural and um, control issues, quite right. frankly. Yeah. This, right. this show would not do well in China and probably would be banned in China. 
just because... We don't beat up China too bad. No, but we talk about free speech and we talk (laughs) about the ability to own your brand and have a voice and reach people that you want to not have constraints. And, you know, that is not the case in some countries. So, and I think we we forget about that, that, you know, America, we're so privileged and many other countries so Mm -hmm. privileged not to be able to say what we want. Now, you may get sued, but, you know, but you can say what you want, (laughs) you know. Well, and also, um, Ashley, Todd, and I are, are sitting in a situation where we're working with large podcast distribution platforms. So we we are at the cutting edge of the distribution of podcasting because we're always trying to find that next big platform that we can get podcasts on. Um, and I think we're starting to get to the end of the list, Todd. Well, <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, do you yeah. think there's a next big platform? Well, I, I think what it's going to do and what we're already seeing is, let's yeah. say, for example, if you have a, I'm just going to throw a, let's say you have a science platform. Well, the yeah. science platform, was a a, vertical they're going to be interested in right. science content only, and they're going to suck in as much science content and lay it in. So we're going to be now in a situation where we, we'll have all the big players, not all the big players globally are not, matter of fact, Many times you don't know who a big player is. Do you know who the biggest audio player is in the UAE? Probably not because we're not in the UAE. We don't know what the popular music app is for the UAE. We probably do a little research we could find out. But those types of things in regional or across the world are going to, you know, there'll be these popular apps within Spotify and all Mm -hmm. those will be in those in that playlist as well of apps people use. But I think what we'll start to see now is the is the verticals will start to more pull in content and not a lot. Maybe they'll have a select catalog of content, and it isn't necessarily the Apple Podcast Top 200. It's you know stuff that they have you know cherry picked through to find content for for their audience. Yeah, Todd, and I think that the biggest example of what you just said is the what we've seen happen in the the huge country of India um, is is those two platforms um that that have adopted podcasting over there um between the two of them is close to 300 million new potential podcast listeners which is about the size of the whole united states so it's it's um and some podcasters have seen very significant growth in their numbers just by getting listed in ghana and geosabin so you know it's it's opportunity that has been sitting out there for the podcast space for many years that the time hadn't come but and now it has. Podcasters will often ask me, how come I've got someone <laughs> listening in this country? And I'm like, well, just remember, in the United States, we're unique and very unique in that most people, and I don't know what the national average is. We'd have to look this up. But there's a very small part of our population that speaks more than one language fluently. Whereas in the in Europe, it's not unusual for someone to speak two or three different languages. Same thing in the Middle East or someone in India, they'll speak maybe mm-hmm. two dialects of uh, in yeah. within their own country. Then they speak English as well. So, um, you know, English programming is definitely going to resound because it's probably the most second spoke language in the world. So I think that that's why people see success in some of these countries. And then, you know, you look at Japan and you know, why hasn't podcast taken off in Japan? Well, part of wow. it is a culture thing. It's, uh, it's about face. It's about, you know, not putting yourself out there and being a one. So podcasting is slowly growing in Japan. Large, it's not because of language or, or anything else. It's because of the culture. And I do think that the culture is shifting. It uh, is. As, as the younger generations come up, um, they're probably not as um, strict on that 
culture impression, Todd, probably is my guess. Well, you know, you would think, you would think, but there is still a certain amount of peer pressure to, you know, and they're very critical. If you're wrong, you know, you're going to pay the price socially for that. Yeah. So it's, it's, but it's fun. It's fun to see the growth in, in and that's what we need. If we're the, if the podcasting space is going to get to $2 billion in advertising, we've got to figure out how to get the rest of the world on board because right. it's not going to be through 10 advertising spots in your top one, your top 10 podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, so actually I wanted to ask you about your article that you wrote about Joe Rogan. I thought it was an interesting one. Todd and I did talk about it on the show a little bit um, after we saw the article um, about him being confined to Spotify and him losing some impact or influence or audience or something like that. I don't know if you wanted to share a little bit more about that topic. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, um, I'm going to pull it up here because it's been a busy month. So what I did is for this piece about Joe Rogan, I really wanted to figure out, and I think this is a big topic a lot of people discuss, is what happens when you go exclusive to a platform, specifically Spotify, just because they've been so splashy about the big deals that they're signing. And beyond being able to get the numbers, which is pretty much impossible to do unless someone wants to leak it to me, um, I had to kind of find a way around that. So the way I did that was by looking at all the guests that came on his show from December 2019 to November 2020, or I'm sorry, from Mm -hmm. December 2019 until um, July of 2020. So Mm -hmm. basically prior, we wanted to see how many followers his guests had on Twitter prior to him going, before they would come on the show, and then how many they gained from going on the show, and how that changed from when he was publicly available to when he went exclusive. So what we found was that before he was exclusive, guests would gain an average of around 4,000 Twitter followers in the -hmm. week following their episode airing. And then after he went exclusive, that number declined by half to around 2,000. So we focused specifically on people who had under 500,000 followers before they went on because that seems like the people who would most benefit. And so really what this sort Mm -hmm. of said to me was that potentially – his impact or listenership dropped off by around 50%. I mean, potentially, this is all just going off this data. Right. But um, you could see it also in the various graphs we put that you see just a distinct drop off in the amount of followers that people gain after he goes exclusive. And so it really just suggests that it is likely he definitely lost some listeners when he moved over. You know, I don't think I'm... In any doubt, that's what happened. I, yeah, there was a very huge contingent of pissed off people that didn't want to be on, have to listen to the show via Spotify. That's why there's a, a few rogue RSS feeds out there where people basically take the content and put it up so that people can subscribe to it. And we know that Spotify, at least we haven't heard publicly that Spotify has been very aggressive about going after that. So I don't know how big of an audience those rogue feeds serve. Um, I can't imagine it being that big because someone be, would be very surprised about their bandwidth bill. If it was, <laughs> uh, Rob, don't you think that they, uh, you get 500,000 people downloading an episode of, of Rogan. I don't care where you're hosting that. That's going to, that's going to raise that's some attention. Have an impact. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, agree. when Joe left, uh, Lipson, it created a 
big difference in our download numbers too. So, <laughs> and your yeah. and your bandwidth bill too. So, yeah, right. So, right. I I I've always said individuals that go to now now let's let's look at it from a different perspective. <laughs> Joe got paid, and I don't begrudge any podcaster that gets a big fat juicy check from signing it, depositing it, and long as they've had their lawyer review the contract, good for them. You know, they've hit the jackpot. But there's a trade-off, you know, money, influence, money, authority. In the deal with going exclusive to Spotify, it sounds like he's lost some authority. But still, when he says something that's off the cuff a little bit and gets social, the social folks upset, he still makes the news. So he's still making an impact that way. Yeah. Yeah, we also saw, just we looked at the Google trends, and it's very clear that whenever he says something controversial, he spikes. But otherwise, he is his search traffic is much lower Has than it be. was yeah. before he was exclusive, which, again, makes some sense because people might have been just searching Joe Rogan latest episode and going to YouTube or whatever, whereas now they probably, by this point, know you're not going to probably find it that way unless you find some of these rogue RSS feeds, but yeah, no, I mean, that's, that is the trade-off. Like, obviously he supposedly got paid around a hundred million dollars. Okay. <laughs> right. You know. Right. Yeah. And he still has his active RSS feed, um, on Lipson right now. There's nothing like, in it. <laughs> there's one episode in the feed right now. And we have the supposition that it's like his backup plan. So let's say something goes south with Spotify. Um, he has a, you know, a fallback place, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing I'm curious about and what I think will really be telling about this exclusive strategy is when these deals are up and when it comes time for renegotiation. Joe Budden was one of the first exclusive mm-hmm. podcasts to Spotify. Kind of like he called, I think he even calls himself the guinea pig. Um, right. And... Right he didn't resign. I mean, I don't know the details of why that was. I don't know if it was a money disagreement or he oh, felt you, disrespected you, ha- you haven't seen the YouTube videos? I know he's gone <laughs> off about yeah. it. <laughs> but let me just say, you know, whatever the real reason is, whether that's it or not, I think it doesn't necessarily, it, it might suggest that in the future, maybe people like Rogan might not renew again. And they got what they wanted out of that go. They got that yeah. check. And maybe now they're gonna be like, okay, I'm back to my usual stuff. We'll see. I'm very curious. Mm-hmm. I would not recommend the Joe Budden strategy. It's just like when you leave a job, you're like, right, thank, you don't trash everybody. Th- thank you very out, much for right? the opportunity. <clears throat> you know, I'm moving on to, you know, bigger and better things. You know, when you move on, you don't throw five gallons of gasoline down the hallway and throw the match, <laughs> you know? You, <laughs> so, but <clears throat> it, it, it goes back to though. And, and I've, you know, I listened to everything Budden have to say. And of course you have to, you know, there's, there's hype and then there's the, the underlying stuff. But I think what it really boiled down to was they did not negotiate their contract. Well, they didn't negotiate breaks. They didn't negotiate that they got Christmas off. They didn't, they didn't negotiate their time. Well, they got the, they gave the, the show got, they had to produce the show on a set schedule. And so in part, it's Joe's fault, and Joe may disagree with me. I've never talked with Joe, but I suspect if he was to do a deal again, and probably the deal he tried to put together with Spotify, took into account, I need this, I need breaks, 
I need my Christmas time. I need, you know, all these. And right. I don't think he got that. Now, if you look at Howard Stern, what is he, what is he negotiated? You know, he's negotiated less hours on the air, more time off the air. His fans are mad because Howard basically got what he wanted so he could have the power and have the motivation to continue to do Howard Stern. So I do I blame Howard Stern? No, the guy's been on, how long has the guy been on the radio? 40 years or something, something ridiculous. So obviously he's tired. He doesn't want to do five hours of radio every day. You know, at his age, he should actually probably be retiring and going to the Bahamas or, you know, to Hawaii or something. But, um, running big enough check and gave him what he wanted. So I tell podcasters, right. let him, let him write the check, but make sure you have a lawyer to go over it and get, get what you want too. So to change the subject to, yeah. again here, um, Todd and I enjoyed your article, the, the podcasting hype house from hell, um, article. Oh. I thought that really kind of, <laughs> kind of broke the, the doors down for you as a, a, yeah. a writer of the podcasting industry. So what's your follow-up thoughts on that article? I know, Many of our listeners, I'm sure, went and checked that one out. Yeah, I know they did. <laughs> Follow-up <laughs> thoughts. I mean, well, so actually in Insider last week. So yeah. if you want, I can run through the story very briefly. But basically sure, the long sure. story short is that Himalaya launched in the U.S. as an offshoot or funded by Shimalaya, which is, I guess, the biggest podcasting app in China. So Himalaya was kind of going to be this big U.S. app. They then spun out a company called High Studios, which was run by a man named Peter Vincer. And High Studios was meant to be sort of like the network, like cool creator network. And as my piece gets into, I call it the hype house from hell because it just, a lot of bad things happened there. Creators were not happy. It kind of turned into disrepair. And then, but publicly you would have just seen that High Studios and Himalaya separated. You didn't know why. And then all of a sudden High Studios, what you thought was High Studios was now called Notorious. Right. which I believe still exists. I'm not entirely sure. But anyway, the story gets into just how it's it's a spiral of despair and mess and bad workplaces well, and things. What it, um, go ahead. Oh, yeah. If you have a go ahead. It, what, I kind of laugh because in the very early days of podcasting, I, I, I will remain innocent, but there was some pretty crazy parties in the early days of podcasting. Now, today. We talked about a lot. Thank God. But today, those parties that maybe happened in 2005, six timeframe would be, uh, you, you wouldn't survive. You wouldn't, you would not from a job yeah, you perspective. Can't do you, that now. You, you, you would, can't do that. no, no, <laughs> no, that, that ship is long sailed. But right. to, and when I read that, I thought, <laughs> didn't he know this? This is, this is 2020. You, you can't do that anymore. And, expect not to have the hammer brought upon you you know just right. i was yeah i was blown away <laughs> yeah i think there was i mean the hammer really wasn't brought upon him anyway well, from a corporate perspective uh, at least in my reporting i found like really the hammer was brought down when employees reported workplace Right. abuse essentially right. and so yeah, at that right. point they had right. to involve himalaya i'm talking about at this point himalaya had to involve a legal firm to do an investigation. And at that point is when things really, you know, happened. But I mean, I don't know what Himalaya <laughs> knew and didn't know, but 
seemingly the party went on. Wow. For mm-hmm. a while. But since that story has come out, Shimalaya tried to go public in the US. I don't pretend to be an expert in why how IPOs work domestically and abroad, but the Chinese government cracked down a little bit. Now they are going public in China. Um, and I actually had a scoop in the Hot Pot Insider last week that Himalaya is now has a new CEO. So the CEO who was running things when Peter Vinzer, who was this high studios folk person, they're out. There's a new CEO and they've pivoted their strategy to more of short form inspirational content on a subscription basis. So I think Himalaya is finding its footing. Maybe, maybe not. I think they're just still figuring it out. But yeah, I did see that, uh, that response video that Peter Visser made about your article too. Did you ever see that? And what was the, the response Um, you think? I mean, what did I think of it? Yeah. I mean, did you hear from (laughs) people giving you feedback about that? No, I think, I think, um, you know, so most people didn't believe him then. I think it was damage control is what it was. Damage control spin. (laughs) That's what it appeared to me. Yeah, I stand by my reporting and I think it's accurate. So, you know, I wasn't too worried. I never had any interaction with him. Rob did. So, you know, Rob and I talked privately about your article. So I I think Rob would have a tendency to potentially agree. I mean, I didn't see all that stuff because I I didn't go to, you know, those parties in L.A. or whatever. I, I... I ran into Peter at various events, podcasting events, um, up in Canada and in the U S. Um, so I've had some involvement with him and I never saw what you, you know, the depth of the depravity of what you <laughs> uncovered. Um, but I did see some, some signs of, you know, over drinking and un- unprofessional behavior and things. So, yeah. You know, it, the, the podcasting space needs a good drama story once in a while. You know? <laughs> I just don't want it to be me. <laughs> uh, keeps, keeps people paying attention. I thought yeah, it does. I mean, uh, that's, you know, I there, love the drama. There, there's news, and news is usually good or bad is usually, you know, okay, as long as it's not that. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, you just, that's one of those, ooh, that's, that's going to leave a mark. You're not going to walk, probably not walk away from that in most companies today. Yeah, yeah. So one thing I wanted to ask it, Ashley, is I know that when when Nick was running Hot Pod, he got involved in um, conferences and putting on kind of kind of VIP events, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. Is that something that is going to continue with Hot Pod, or is it um, going to be just more just focused on the newsletter? Just curious. Yeah, we're we're definitely focused on the newsletter right now just because it's new for us. Okay. Like first of all, it's the Verge's first paid product. So we're just like, how the heck do we do this? And well, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. but I do think we are interested in events. Like I enjoy events. I like to meet people in mm-hmm. person. I went to sure podcast movement in Nashville this past August, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know, I like to take opportunities to meet people. So hopefully we can do some events at some point. So yeah, that's great. So what is your um what's your what's your feel? What's your vibe? And you're talking to a lot of people, you know. So Rob and I have been, you know, kind of uh out of the pocket for the last couple of weeks, but 
you know, we've all, we've seen this huge number of acquisitions and mergers and that that's kind of cooled off a little bit, mm-hmm. but you know, what is your, you know, what's your sense of what's going on in the space right now? What, what, what do you feel is, is happening? Because, you know, you got to have a sense to, you know, getting input from people, what's going on. Yeah. Um, as far as mergers and acquisitions, I imagine we'll see more show deals. Like inevitably that's going to happen as far mm-hmm. as the big tech acquisitions and stuff like that. I don't know if we're going to see as much of it. A lot has happened already, but I am very curious about what Amazon's going to be cooking up. I think they might be working on something interesting, but I don't know what it is. I'm also curious to see how Facebook affects podcast world, like if it can actually lead to listens and meaningfully change the space. Um, Those are kind of the big, I think the big things to watch. I... Yeah, I would expect that. I would also expect maybe some of these more indie networks to potentially struggle or deal with. Now that we have all these splashy deals, I think that you see a lot of people coming into the space being like, hey, how can I make money off of the podcasters Mm -hmm. and help them make more money and coach and try to bring them to different networks that maybe are willing to pay a bit more and recognize their worth. So I, yeah. I think we might see some more of that with indie networks, but I don't know. That's just something I'm kind of like have a hunch about. I don't really know much about it. Yeah. I would just, just add, add to that, um, Ashley, to some degree that I, I think that there's maybe something new brewing at Google. So um, yes, because of changeover and staff and, leadership on the podcasting side over there that's happened here recently. So, and they've been pretty quiet actually. Yeah. Um, I've, so I've really things been curious are brewing. about that. All right. Very curious All right. about that because yeah. yes, as you mentioned, quite a few people have left the team. I always thought Google was kind of the sleeping giant in all of this simply because they could make the native Android play. And then when I saw that all these folks left, I was like, well, where does this leave Google podcast? And I still don't know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm very, very curious about that as well. I don't know if you talk with the Facebook folks or if they're talking to you yet. Um, if you're not, you should probably try to get connected up with their team because they do embargo stuff a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Rob and I are both under NDA, so we obviously can't talk about future stuff coming with Facebook, but there's some stuff that's about ready to pop with them. I guess that's all I can say legally. Um, but Dang. I wish this was a law-breaking podcast. Well, it's not. Uh, it's not. But, you know, I think my perspective, well, maybe I can basically say my perspective on the Facebook team is they truly care about the user experience. So right. I, I think from that perspective, podcasters are going to like what Facebook is is doing or you know obviously they're adding podcasts to if, if you have a page you know you're going to be able to a lot of people now are able to map their show to their to their page um that's no secret they've announced that already but i think that they they want the folks to have a good user experience they want to drive views and listens um i, I hope they're successful because a lot of people spend a lot of time on facebook Amazon, on the other hand, that we'll, we'll see what happens with Amazon. You, you know, Rob yeah. and I have watched the Amazon thing. Well, really, it was the Audible thing. 
Yeah, I've been poking the Amazon bear for like 10 years. Yeah, you know, they um, were in, they were out, they were in, they were out. Yeah. And now they're definitely in, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. And then the other area, um, I just want to mention about Facebook too, is that they may be coming on this show next week. So, so we shall see. Whoa, that's a big guy. Yeah. Yep. I'm going to well, shut my blinds. Like I said, uh, things are coming. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, well, I will definitely be uh, keeping my eyes it'll, out. It, you'll, you'll, it'll be, you know, you, it's not going to be, when, when it pops, then everyone's going to know. So it, it is what it is. And they've been, to be quite frank, they've been very willing to listen um, and and take feedback from, you know, platforms like Todd and I's um, around best ways to enter the podcasting market. And that's been that's been heated by them because I think they want to see it be successful. So I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm confident that what they're doing is trying to do, do the best that they can. Right? We've done so many of these integrations over the years that, you know, internally at Blueberry, we build a document that when the first time when a company like <clears throat> this company out of Nigeria that reached out to us, we had a call and I said, I'm going to send you our document. You know, here's the best practices on how you mm -hmm. should interact with podcasters. Um, and really the summary of that document is, is, have a landing page where people can submit their show. Don't make me do an API integration to you where the podcaster has to go through a bunch of mumbo jumbo to, to get into your system. Just make it easy, make it easy for them to onboard. And that, right. that's the essence of the document. There's nothing more fancy, but then we'd say, okay, if you're going, if you're not going to do that and there's, you're going to go API, well then please think about this because right. dev time is expensive and we all have lots of stuff we're doing. And you know, if I have to spend, 40 dev hours to integrate with one platform and it's isn't proven it's going to drive any traffic, then that's a big commit on our part. So, uh, I think Samsung's was the same way. They, they've, they, they, they listen significantly to the, to the, you know, their launch partners and, um, they were, you know, I think there's a lot more things coming from Samsung too. They're, they're baby stepping things out and seeing how it goes. But if you look at what Google hasn't done, like you alluded to, having an OEM based uh, app and the challenge it, you, you look at Google right now, they're in, in court in the EU. They just, uh, 2018 ruling $5 billion because of the prepackaged apps in the Android platform. Well, for them to add another app, they've already got maps, they've got Gmail, they've got, you know, all this stuff to them to add another, another app, a podcast app. That's you, we all think it's easy, but it's not at all. It's right. it, it can be challenging for them, and you know they they're paying five billion dollars because they have this package of apps that they control. And they said, "Well, look at Apple. Well, it's a different deal with Apple. Apple builds their own apps. They have their own infrastructure. It's a whole different game. They're not licensing iOS to anyone else." I'm curious because Samsung is admittedly one that I have seen, but I haven't like really explored very deeply. Do you feel like Samsung is something that is worth paying attention to? It incrementally, yes. They have the biggest opportunity. You think about Samsung worldwide and the Android marketplace itself and how many, how many Samsung devices from the, the, 20, the S21 all the way down to their you know, $100 burner phone or $80 or $50 burner phone that they sell in many third world countries that will all have podcasts on it. I think that could be a big impact. You don't see any other major OEM 
at this point, natively adding podcasts to the platform. You don't see Huawei. Of course, Huawei sold their, their what it was their phone called? Boom or something. They had a name for it. They sold it because of uh, restrictions that the administration put on them last year. But you don't see big, you don't see Sony and other folks like that. They're big in Japan for mobile devices putting in native podcast support. So I think Samsung has a, a chance to move the needle just be, based on the total number of phones they have in the worldwide over the next five years. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, Samsung is, you know, they added podcasts um, as, as just part of a broader strategy, I guess, because I'm sure that they were hearing that there was such huge opportunity for growth in that area um, on the Android side with podcasting. And, and I think that's, that's the big reason why they, why they did it. I'm not sure that it's had enough marketing behind it to really get well, a significant lift. What they need right. is they need an app. So they need right. an app that's right. delivered a part as an OEM update. And when they do that, winner, winner, chicken dinner, but until they have an app, then it's going to move slowly. But as soon as that they have an actual podcast app of their own, then, you know, it's just like what happened. We had an inflection point with Apple when Apple put a podcasting app on iOS. You know, first it was inflection point of iTunes and then it was the iPhone. And then the next inflection point was, again, we saw these huge, huge bumps in numbers of listeners when someone gives me the phone, what pod, you know, and I say, I got a podcast. They hit, first thing to do is, add it to my list i don't even have to now i don't have to install an app i just boom 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 and it's you know i add the show so imagine and if the person has an android device now and i say okay well here's how we add google podcasts and it's still clunky so we have to re continue to remove the clunky or i say just go listen on spotify and that's where you know spotify has an advantage on the android side We'll see. Time will tell. Yeah, definitely. So your insider had a follow-up to the, uh, so you had some update to what was going on with uh, the situation out in LA then, huh? That might be worth, yeah. that might be worth paying the entry fee alone to read. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's the goal. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting from an editorial perspective of how to decide what is worthy of being free and like something that has wide appeal versus something that's super industry that I know if you're paying for this newsletter, you care about that industry stuff. And to me, the Himalaya content pivot and new CEO felt very, you know, if you're in the industry, you know about Himalaya and you're probably interested. So that was a, an experiment that I think, Rob, if we go back to previous episodes on this show, what did we give them? Did we give them three years? Yeah. Well, they, we always question what, what their strategy was because whenever we went and talked to Himalaya, we, we never really got a straight answer about what they were trying to do because I'm not sure that they, were, <laughs> they really knew what they were trying to do. Um, and they certainly weren't building a technology stack platform. So, um, and it was just always confusing because they had all this money and they were professing that they had all this money, but it was like most, most, uh, investors don't invest in something that's kind of like perceived as smoke and mirrors. So, and that's what this kind of felt like. Weren't they the ones that put on the party at podcast movement? Was it them or was um, it? Yeah, it was them. Yeah. That was in the big yeah, so feature. There was a hint that they didn't know what was going on 
at that party because typically when someone sponsors a podcast event, it's very inclusive. It's, uh, there's not like VIP sections. There's, uh, you know, it's, it's open for everyone. And at their party, they had a gated area where the, if you, you could only get into that part of the party. Now they put on a great party. Don't get me wrong. They had great food, great entertainment. It was all good, but they had this exclusive area of haves and have nots. And for podcast movement being largely probably at that time, more indie than commercial, it was just a little bit, it felt a little odd. So from my perspective, it was kind of like, hmm, did they make the right move or not? So, but. Well, they're still kicking. Yeah. They're still kicking. Yeah, that's what happens with that Chinese money, I guess. I have a feeling that Peter Vesser probably isn't a part of it anymore, though. Well, he's definitely not part of Himalaya. Um, Yeah. But he might be doing his own thing still. Yeah. Well. I guess when you, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be quiet before I get myself in trouble and get a suit here. So be, be careful. <laughs> you know, you said something earlier about you, uh, you like tips uh, that come in week once in a while. Rob and I will get fed one as well. So those of you that, uh, want to send, uh, some tidbits, you know, you need to make sure that you, uh, keep Ashley in your, uh, in your email box so that uh, <laughs> when you have something juicy, you send it over to her. Now, don't forget Rob and I, because we love getting those little juicy tidbits as well. <laughs> right. We all deserve juicy tidbits. So, right, exactly. And Ashley, if you want to say anything to Apple, they listen. So if you have any feedback for them, they're, they're listening to the show right now. So they, we do know they listen. We can say that. <laughs> well, and and to add to that, you actually did do a story kind of related to Apple a little bit about their subscriptions. And I guess uh, Neil Patel, I guess, is doing some sort of premium stuff with uh, Apple Podcasts. Is that correct? My boss? Like Neelai? Yeah, yeah. I thought yeah, I thought you oh, mentioned no, an article. no, I don't think so. If he oh, is, okay. I have not heard about that. Mm. Oh, okay. <laughs> but no, I don't think so. Okay, because you had mentioned that there's something to do with the Verge that's working with um, the premium oh, sub- subscription stuff. Right. Well, Vox Was Media it? acquired Cafe Studios. Maybe this is right. what you're thinking of. Um, yeah. And Cafe Studios is Preet Bahara's network, which Preet is Bahara, known for right. doing podcast subscriptions well. So right. I actually don't know what's happening at Vox Media Podcast Network. <laughs> we don't actually okay. talk that much, but I know okay. that we acquired Cafe Studios and at least that has an existing subscription business. I think the right. subscription business is, I think people are already kind of figuring out it can be challenging to do it and do it well, uh, especially on the podcast side. You, you know, you have to have a pretty significant audience to really, to get some groundswell. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to me, Rob, the money thing right now. I, I had received a, um, you know, I talked to a lot of podcasters and Ash, I think you'll find this curious is the conversation in the past. Um, well, Number one, growth. Podcasters want to know how to grow the show. That's that's number one by far, the ongoing conversation. But number two, really over the last six months, is how do I monetize? How do I monetize? And the the challenge, you know, hate to tell someone that you you're not ready because there's a lot of false information being put out there by people saying, Oh, you can just monetize by having a hundred listeners. Well, you can if you're a neurosurgeon right. and you have very valuable, tight vertical right. content, you can make a lot of money. But 
if you're a podcaster that has a general topic show, you know, you're going to get some donations maybe, but you're not going to get a great subscribe, you know, an advertising deal. And Rob and I actually had one of the prominent folks in the advertising space on our um, live show that we did at Podcast Movement. And people have a hard time. They have a hard time accepting the fact that they got to grind. They got to build an audience and it's, it's not easy. You know, this building a big YouTube audience is not easy. So, um, I think there's a lot of, um, folks out there seeking to make money right away, but they have this unrealistic expectation that they can. So maybe as you're looking for articles, you know, it'd be nice to have some, some press on the realities of what it takes to, you know, really earn, you know, and there's outliers. Don't get me wrong. There's outliers that do well with small audiences, but um, you got to build an audience to have a significant revenue. Yeah. And I would say actually that's a pretty big storyline that I've been trying to cover. One of my articles from earlier this year was about Anchor's sponsorships tool, not Mm -hmm. really having any sponsors apart from Anchor slash Spotify itself. And I think the reason why that story was super interesting to me is because I think we're seeing a lot of movement in the space around this idea of building really large, large, I guess I wouldn't call them networks, but like hosting providers having a large arsenal of monetizable programming that they can insert advertising into regardless of the size of the show. And so I think kind of keeping checks on whether that's working or not is something that I'm particularly interested in. And that's why this anchor situation, which again was back in, I believe, February or January. So things could have changed since then. But at the time that just suggested to me that this big experiment of being like, oh, you don't need to have 200,000 listeners. We can monetize you even if you only have 50. Didn't seem like it was really panning out. Um, But that said, that's the- Well, you can, but you know- are you cool with getting a nickel every two months? You know, right. that, that's, that's right. The I think that right. it was this idea of like, we can make maybe not a yeah. living, but like a nice little side hustle right. type it, thing. Here's, right. here's a little history for you so that, um, you can understand where the space was and, and where it is and where I hope it's going to go is in the early days, there were no big shows and the measurement back in the early days were we, we built a tool. My first tool that I built was a, a, t- a programmer that built me just a scraping tool for a log files. It didn't read bots, didn't do anything. It just gave me a raw download number. And, oh, I thought I had 40 or 50,000 listeners. I probably had 10,000, you know, after we, if it, we used a modern filtering technology that we have today. So in the early days, there was no big shows. They were all small. You know, it was, you know, the biggest show out there, you know, maybe had 45 or 50,000 listeners up until about the time that, Adam Carolla came on and he really went kind of superstar and, you know, drew some real high, high download numbers. So the advertising in the early days of podcasting was all small shows. So we'd have four or 500 shows on a, on an ad deal and do a quarter million, a quarter on a, on a buy, but we'd have 500 shows to get those types of numbers to get the, to, to move that money. And then when the, and I, those that listen to the shows heard this a hundred times, so it's nothing new to them, but when the big shows, came on the scene and when they started going 100k plus then the money rolled up into those big shows and the money has never really come back down into the smaller shows so what is what rob's company my company you know i probably got six seven eight thousand shows that are 
probably could qualify to make, well, probably 4,000 shows that could qualify to make, if they were to run advertising in their podcast programmatically, they could probably get, um, if they did four shows a month, they could probably get uh, Take Mama or their partner or significant other to dinner money. And if they, and there's another portion of them that would potentially make car payment money. And then there's a percentage of them that could probably make house payment money. And then a very small percentage would be retirement money or do you do full-time money? But if they're, if they're getting to that point where they can do full-time, they're big enough to be able to do their own ad deals. They don't need programmatic. So the challenge is to make this work. Podcasters are the GM, ad sales, and talent. Uh, networks can say, a radio station can tell the jock, you have to run this ad. You have to do this host endorsement. It's part of your job. You don't like the product. You have to do it. Podcasters will often say no to ad deals, even though it would make sense for their show to do them for whatever obscure reason. So in order to get programmatic to work in podcasting, is give up some of that stuff. The podcaster is going to have to be willing to give up some control. And I think that's a big ask because it's easy for me to be on the show or do send out an email to let's say 8,000 eligible shows and say, I've got programmatic ready for you today. You can select which categories you, let's say you don't want anything adult in nature. Let's say you don't want no dog ads or you don't want baby product ads. Maybe you can broad category block two or three things, but the rest you're going to, it's going to come on as a pre-roll. You're going to take what you get. A lot of podcasters are going to say, okay, how much am I going to make? And you say you're going to make 60, 80, hundred dollars a month. They're going to say, it's not worth it. We're not going to do it. So if you have 4,000 podcasts that say they're not willing to make a hundred dollars a month, you do the math on that. That's big money from an ad spot standpoint on a monthly basis. But if they won't agree to giving up control, then it's going to be very, very hard to get a, a group of podcasters to agree to allow Todd to work with a partner to say, yeah, here, just here's the inventory, just sell it. Uh, yeah. that's, a, that's a big trust ask. It's also very easy in a lot of these platforms, especially on the programmatic side, to um, build in too many available ad spots in the content too. So what, what it creates is this multiplier effect in the podcaster's mind where, where if one ad, you know, like we've tipped traditionally had, we've had a host read ad, um, gets 20, 18 to $25 per thousand listeners. Um, and then that podcaster can programmatically through the, the publishing platform, add a couple more insertion locations that can add like maybe two 30 seconds or, um, um, two, two 30 seconds after the, the, the host read. So now you have five ads. You have a five every, load. Yeah. 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 Five ads in there because of a multiplier effect. So you have um, each of those dynamically inserted, uh, programmatic ads are maybe paying maybe five to 10, $12 CPMs. And they're but, getting as high as 15 right. on good right. deals. Right, right, right. And, before cut. And so what, what it's creating is an environment of, of more and more shows um, loading up on advertising because they want to make more money. And, 
And that's the danger of it. So somehow we have to walk this line between um, in- incentivizing people to add programmatic without allowing them to basically destroy the, their audiences because they've got too many ads. We, we've done this show now for 10 plus years. My personal podcast is, and Rob's as well, is um, fast approaching 17 years next month. And I've had advertising in my show since 2005, same advertisers the whole time. I've had GoDaddy as a sponsor from day one. Well, not day one, but show 80 or something yeah. like that. Right. And what I found on my podcast was, and I do about an hour, when I run two ads, my audience is okay. They don't, I don't see a drop off, but as soon as I add the third ad, I start seeing this. I start seeing drop off of listens or downloads. Say people are like, mm-hmm. there's too many ads in here. I do a six three sixties, or if if you're doing host endorse, they might be three nineties because you you know right. you talk too much. Uh, then there's that train. Then the then the audience starts going down. So that's the thing podcasters will have to put constraints on if they're smart not get greedy, say, okay, my show can handle two. I'm gonna, I'll take two, limit it to two, and maybe it'll be okay. Maybe one pre-roll, mid-roll. But most of the programmatic that's being done right now is on pre. So, because it's easy, you know, it's easy to integrate with pre. So they run two, two pre-rolls. Well, my contention is I'm hearing the first pre-roll. I'm good. As soon as the second one starts, I'm reaching for my phone to hit the fast forward button. So we'll see how this programmatic ends up working. Uh, but you, again, you just have to be smart about it. And I, I hope that we all succeed and I hope we get all podcasters paid, but whew, I, I'm not running a Spotify or an anchor ad. That's for doggone sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, if you go back and you look and look at the early days of podcasting, it was against the culture to have any commercials. Oh, I got um, crucified. Yeah, so that's that's what you're dealing with as far as a historical perspective. Now, granted, obviously things have dramatically changed. Um, people are much more open to advertising, um, but I think what we're potentially feeling the pressure of, Ashley, is that as radio becomes more influential in the podcasting space, they're bringing their commercialization ethics into the podcasting medium, which is a little bit contrary to the culture of podcasting and what the audiences expect. And one of the reasons why podcasting even exists is, is because of over commercialization of radio. So you can see the dichotomy of that um, as these radio companies come in and they want to match the revenues that they got out of radio that they are solely going to be losing over the next 10 to 20 years. Um, they're going to want to replace with podcasting. You know, so. you, you laugh, laugh about this, but actually would you believe it when I, I was, I announced the book deal I had with Wiley Publishing. I had the first book on podcasting published. It's called Podcasters, The Do-It-Yourself Guide. Did real yeah. well, sold 45,000 copies. I actually got paid in advance, made some royalties. It was, it was good. I did real well on it. Thank God I did because when I announced the book, half my audience left from my tech show because I had sold out to the man yes. and took money for writing for a book team. about podcasting. Right. Now, it wasn't even it was there wasn't even advertised for the podcast is because I wrote a book and they they were so militant about it. So then right. I knew, okay, this was like March or April of 2005 and I said, well, 
the rest of the audience is good. So when an advertiser does show up, I won't have to worry. And that's exactly what happened when GoDaddy showed up in June of 05. And I said, hey, we're running GoDaddy as an advertiser. No one left because all the ones that were the purists right. had gone. Can you imagine today someone, half your audience leaving because you, you got paid for a book deal? Right. <laughs> it was, it was, it was a different. Right. No, that's not going to happen. Different time. <laughs> different time yeah, and and things have dramatically changed and, and yeah, thank god right and that's that's good um but i think at the end of the day and i'm not sure that that many people in the podcasting industry still exists i think we're the <laughs> the, the there's one of the few dinosaurs that are left 20 of us um, maybe right right that came out of that era that can actually even know that that happened um i mean i mean this was the same era that if um if a show took an advertisement, uh, like a host read ad, that uh, they felt free, and I'm talking about the host of the show, to trash their advertiser, right? Trash. So, <laughs> so just to give you an example, so let's say a, a podcaster took $500 to do, let's say, a, a mattress ad, right? Talk about a mattress ad, right? And the the mattress manufacturer would send the host one of the mattresses. I got one. Right. And, and they would actually sleep in the mattress for a few days before they did the ad. And then let's say they had a horrible night's sleep. Um, guess what? They would go on the show and say, it's a horrible mattress. I, I didn't get any sleep last night and they would expect to be paid. I, I that's how extreme it was back then. I got a mattress. I had a horrible experience with it. And I asked around my neighborhood, does anybody need a mattress? And right. I said, yeah. One of my friends said, yeah, I need a mattress. I said, give me, give me your opinion about it. So right. he took the mattress. He slept in it. And I basically said on my show, hey, I, I didn't need a mattress, but I gave it to my friend. He's had a great experience with it. And I, you know, did, I didn't endorse it because it was J-U-N-K, you know, but my neighbor had a good experience. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. Brand safety. But nobody oh. nobody does that now, though. No, Definitely. no, no. Right. Right. So. <laughs> How times anyway. have changed. Anyway, we're, we're, we're reminiscing too much. Right. So, so Ashley, as you think about um, kind of like some of the topics, I think you've mentioned a couple of them so far that you might have an interest in trying to cover in the podcasting medium. You know, you talked about global, you talked about, um, social stuff. Um, you know, these new audio platforms, is there any other areas that you're taking, taking an interest in? I did see an article that you had written about artificial intelligence. And yeah. is there anything that, you know, that you're thinking about that? I think to Todd and I, I think AI technology and podcasting is maybe a little bit, um, maybe a little bit new. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I did a, um, I'm, I'm in the midst of it, but hosting a podcast mini series under the Vergecast feed about AI in various mm -hmm. kind of creative forms. And mm -hmm. one of the episodes we did was making voice clones. And that was actually super interesting. I, people can't tell the difference. Wow. Actually. I played it for my parents and they were like, what's wrong? I was like, how do I sound? And they're like, you sound great. I'm like, no, <laughs> that's, that's my me. robot voice. That's not me. <laughs> right. That's not me speaking. They're like, what? That's scary. Um, it's actually now a really fun party trick for me, but yeah, I, so I, I'm not planning to really cover that space too deeply, but it is something that now is definitely 
top of mind. I mean, Veritone is one of the companies that makes these voice clones. And obviously they have a vested interest in the podcast space, specifically around advertising and their whole value proposition around that technology is we interviewed them actually for the show, but they were like, well, the idea would be, it might be too expensive to get Tom Hanks in the studio to do a host read ad. What if we could just have his clone do it? Yeah. Slippery slope. So there yeah. you have it. <laughs> so yeah. that gets, and so if that actually begins to take off, I will be very interested to cover it. That I can guarantee. I, I, well, Todd, wasn't the Descript platform playing around with this stuff too? I, I don't remember if they were. Yeah, they are. Yeah. They were in the episode as well, actually. And they're doing it in a little bit different way where for them, it's less about like to do a full ad and more about if you wanted to change, let's say at the last second, a specific yeah. word or something like that, yeah. you could easily just sub it in really quick. I, I think we're going to have to have some, I, I, I don't know if it, I, I hate to use the word legislation, but there's going to have to be some, some protections put in place for this so that number one, if someone uses my voice in one of those systems, it's able number one to be detected that there's something in there that shows it's AI. Number two, that there has to be disclosure if you're doing an ad and it's done right. by number three. Um, I don't mind a constraint of changing a word or two and editing. I think that's okay, but th there's, this is going to, this is, this is going to be the wild, wild West. You know, it's, it it could get really, it's scary. It's really really scary. So from from my perspective, this is why live is going to protect podcasters. So you know we're doing a show live, and it's going to be very hard for someone to edit this live video to get me to make my lips say something else that you know it's. It's it's a form of protection for me to to do live, um, and I'm not saying that I'm I'm going to be a target of someone substituting my name, but or my voice. But that could come to fruition because you know it could be used for all types of nefarious things and blackmail, and it it, it, it it's scary. It's really really scary for me to think about this for mm -hmm. for the public at large, not just myself, but the public at large. Yeah, yeah, it's been yeah, happening on the video side, of, too, you know. Yeah, right. I was going to say, actually, one of the episodes we do is about video footage. And one of the companies mm -hmm. we speak to specifically is interested in dubbing and using AI to more accurately dub, specifically for foreign films, so that it just looks better. But to your use case, perhaps paired with the voice clone, it's not the best combination. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, like there is a bigger discussion to have around that of how do you start saying what was made without AI? Do you have disclosures? Do you have, I know Veritone has something like they call an invisible watermark that if for some reason, some sort mm -hmm. of clip was going viral, let's say, and it was made through their software, they could, I guess on the back end identify it. Um, hmm. But yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of big questions being asked around it. And because imagine in the world we live in today, someone faking uh, a political official and making yeah, a celebrity and, and basically someone takes and makes just an audio clip and then puts that up in some, puts it up on Facebook or puts it, you know, TikTok or wherever. And you think you're listening to that official saying something that's contrary to what they are really saying. It could drive, it, 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 it could be really damaging. 
Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, I'm thinking of the New York Times article that just came out this past week about Aussie media. I don't know if you guys saw it, but one of their executives on a conference call with Goldman Sachs uh, impersonated a YouTube executive and almost got away with it. And so you don't even need the AI. You really just needed to have cameras off and a slight <laughs> unfamiliarity with a voice and you might be good to go. And he didn't disclose. He just did an impersonation. No, no. He pretended that he pretended to be this person. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. It's a crazy story. Yeah. I think on the video side, I think it's Adobe is the one that's been pioneering that technology of the being able to change the facial movements in mm -hmm. alignment with audio to to audio dub and change the physical presentation of video. So yeah, Adobe's the doing a lot there. <laughs> right. Well, I guess we're not safe from anything. Rob, we're uh, we're getting down we're the last the, the last right. three minutes here. So Ashley, give your plug, give your contact, give the website, how they can reach you, all that good stuff. <laughs> okay, well, I'm on Twitter at Ashley R. Carmen. You can find my work at The Verge, where you can also hopefully find some Hot Pod links at the newsletter tab at the top. But if not, there is always hotpodnews.com, where you can easily subscribe and also view the archives. Feel free to subscribe. That would be great. And like we have talked about endlessly on the show, my DMs on Twitter are open. My email is available to you very easily. So I'm around. All right. So you're... Your subscription amount is a paid newsletter, and it's, what is it, $7 a month, I think is what I saw? Is that it's right? It's one issue free per week, and then if you want to subscribe for the three issues, it's $7 a month or $70 a year. Right. Okay. Awesome. Got it. So just from a programming note, I will be in Hawaii next week. I'm going back for a dermatologist appointment. That's where my dermatologist is, so I'm getting a spot removed off my back. So, Rob, so does that mean that we're not doing the show next we week? We will do the show next week. Uh, okay. it, it will be uh, with me in Honolulu. So uh, I'll be... Could uh, we have a guest? Could we have a guest? We'll have to we'll use Riverside or something like that to do the guest, okay. but it should be no issue to do that. We'll still be able to live stream okay. on Facebook. Won't be a problem. Okay. But uh, yeah, so I, uh, I'll, I'm, uh, we'll do the show at least semi on the road. You'll be in your studio. I'll be in... Uh, in a bedroom or a closet somewhere. Who knows? We'll find a spot. But uh, yeah, I'm yeah. only there for four days and then I'm back here in Michigan on Friday. So, okay. All right. But, uh, well, Ashley, thank you so much yeah. for spending so much time with us. It was, it was great to speak with you, especially on the show here. And welcome to the hot pod world and, and keep up the great work. Yep. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. I will talk to you soon. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Yep. Bye. Bye. So anyway, I'm Todd at uh, Blueberry.com. I'm at Geek News on Twitter. Uh, Rob? Yeah, and I'm uh, on Twitter as well, at Rob Greenlee. And you can send me an email if you want, robg at Lipson.com. And I have a website too, robgreenlee.com. So awesome. those are all good ways. And we definitely want to hear from you. Give us feedback on your thoughts on Hot Pod or if you're going to sign up or not. And any other tidbits that you you know hear about in the podcasting space uh, todd and i always want to hear about it and we are considering advertising now so if you have an advertising pitch for us let us know we're happy to consider that and mm -hmm. uh so something new here we're going to try and experiment with and see what we uh see what we drum up and uh, with that i'll leave everyone with some uh, good tone vibes as we get out of here everyone take care we'll see you next time here on the right. media show take care bye-bye A little Hawaiian. Yeah, something to that effect. <laughs>